Hello, welcome to this latest podcast from the University of Brighton. I'm Richard Newman and my guest this week is Dr Ewan Kirkland, Principal Lecturer in Film and Screen Studies. Ewan's organising a really exciting event at Salis Benny Theatre on Friday the 12th of June, Forever Bowie, an evening celebrating the arts and music of David Bowie. We talk about that, but also some of Ewan's key research interests. One involves video games and horror, but also children's culture. So with that in mind, and the recent release of Toy Story 4. We, of course, discussed that, but we started our conversation with his work here at the university. I teach film and screen studies um, at uh, the city campus, uh, which is a great course to teach on. It uh, covers film, television, digital games. We also look at uh, the internet. We look at the ways in which screens are, have become portable. We look at mobile phone culture. Um, It's a really great course for looking at all these different ways in which screens are being used for entertainment, for information um, and for communication uh, and the ways in which all those different screens are sort of coming together. So one of the things that I'm really interested in is the way that uh, a a film will come out and it will also be uh, be promoted on the internet, it will be promoted on TV. You have um, connections between film culture and um, and material culture with like toys being brought out in in relation to particular films. I mean, we've got the the new Toy Story film, which is coming out very soon, and that's a franchise which, since it started, has always been associated with with uh, children's toys. Uh, and I'm really interested. A lot of the work that I do is on children's media, so I'm interested in the way in which. Um, we have these kind of intersections between uh, screen culture and uh, material culture. What's your background? How have you, how did you move into higher education? Well, I started off, um, I, I did my PhD at the University of Sussex uh, on uh, children's cinema. I was really interested in um, the way in which uh, childhood can be understood as a, as, a, as an, a constructed identity, as a socially constructed identity the ways in which children are a sort of minority within our culture, though one that doesn't get the same amount of attention as as other marginalised or minority groups. So I was interested in the ways in which notions of childhood are sort of reflected in children's films or films which are seem to be aimed at a child audience. So I wrote about the um, Roald Dahl adaptations. I looked at Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I looked at uh, Matilda. Um, I spent a lot of time talking about uh, Peter Pan adaptations for cinema and about the presence of technology in, in, in children's media. Um, and then I sort of finished my PhD, put that to one side, and I started working on um, video games and thinking about um, the connections between horror video games and other kinds of horror culture. And that's when I started to get into um, to, to digital media. Um, and uh, I think my 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 post at Brighton is really great because it allows me to to think about the intersections between all these different kinds of kinds of screen culture. We'll come back to your research in just a moment because there's a lot to talk about. Let's dive right into um, Forever Stardust, an evening celebrating the art and music of David Bowie. It's on Friday the 12th of July at Salis Benny Theatre in Brighton, an event you're curating. So yes. what's it all about and, and where did the idea come from? Well, the idea started, uh, a, a colleague of mine had just uh, published a book about David Bowie and I thought it'd be really interesting to invite them to come and speak um, to our students and then I became more aware that you know, there's interest in Bowie right across the city I mean there's clearly a, a big fandom for for the uh, the performer here 
Um, and uh, as I started organising this event, other members of staff saying started saying, oh, I'm, I'm also doing work on Bowie. I'm, I'm, I've also kind of got um, got an interest in this in in, in this particular um, particular star. So it sort of it snowballed from there. So um, at the moment, we've got uh, Stephen Bull, who's going to be talking about um, Bowie in relation to photography. We've got Paul Burgess, who's um, got an archive of uh, Bowie memorabilia that we're going to be uh, putting um, up on, on display. Uh, Paula Hearson does work on um, celebrity obituaries. So we've got her talking about that. We've also got Martin James from Solit University. We've got someone um, who's writing a graphic novel based on Bowie, who's going to be talking about their work. And the idea is really to um, have an, an event which is academic, but it's also accessible. Uh, it's something that can um, appeal to people who've, um, who are interested in Bowie at you know, different stages in, in, in his career and, and different kind of different aspects of his of his persona. So uh, I'm hoping that it's going to be, um, yeah, it's going to be a, a really exciting event. I think it's going to be very lively. We've got lots of people to cram into just uh, two and a half hours. Uh, we've also got um, a Bowie tribute band that's going to be coming on and, and at the end and uh, and uh, giving us a few numbers. And I mean, the whole event is is um, organised to coincide with the uh, anniversary of the original release of Space Oddity. So it's um, hopefully it's going to be like a, a really fun celebration of the, the the man and his work yeah you'd imagine it'd be a, a very popular event being hosted in brighton yeah yeah well we've, we're also saying that if you turn up on the night dressed as david bowie then you get him for free so we're hopefully going to have a cosplay competition as, as part of the event as well so it's the, the idea is that it's, it's it's showing off the work that we're doing here at the university and at the school of media uh, it's bringing people um other um academics and artists um, to to talk about their work, but it's also producing something which is going to be of interest to the the general public and hopefully make that kind of bridge between academia and the kind of wider community. Mm. Well, we'll pop the um, details of this in the podcast description so that people can uh, click the links and they can they can book on. I mean, you've got experience of arranging events like this already yeah. haven't you so what have you been doing in the past well i i've um yeah i've always found it a really uh, really enjoyed putting together events they've, they've, it's, it's a great way to sort of to meet new people and to, to to um bring people together to have lively discussions so i i the first event i organized was um over 10 years ago i did a conference on uh, battlestar galactica when that tv show was, was really really popular um i ran a whole series of conferences on um uh, co-organized conferences on uh, racial whiteness here at um brighton i organized a an event on zombies in popular culture a few years ago which uh we had a really good um panel we had um people talking about um uh, zombies in graphic novels in literature uh, in video games, in cinema, we had uh, Naomi Alderman who came and uh, and talked about her work on Zombies Run. Um, we had um, uh, someone who'd done a board, a board game based in in Brighton, which had a sort of Paul Stapleton, who um, produced a, a Zombie N One, which is a, a version of his BN One board game. So we got him talking also about the the ways in which zombies uh, functions as, as kind of um, as metaphors or the way that zombies kind of like work really well in certain kinds of media we talked about you know the reason why there was this kind of zombie renaissance going on at the time so uh, it was it was a really lively event and um it's very satisfying to sort of bring 
people together who otherwise wouldn't have met and um, to get these kind of discussions going. Yeah, I mean, whilst we're talking about zombies then, because one of your research interests is about uh, gothic and horror video games and you focus a lot yeah. on, on, on Silent Hill as well. So where, where does that interest yeah. come from and what have you been looking at? Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I've grew up playing video games. I mean, I, I was born in 1972, which, according to some accounts, is the year that video games first became commercially available. So I've, I've always grown up with video games. I went to university um, in the late 80s and studied media. And I don't think at any point throughout my time doing my media studies degree, anyone mentioned video games. It was this thing which really just wasn't even thought of as, as, a, as a medium, I think. And then um, I continued to play games and the games become more sophisticated and more complicated since their more kind of early years. And I always wanted to write about video games because I spent a lot of time playing them. Mm. Um, and I was writing about media and I was writing about film and TV and, t- and, and teaching these subjects. But um, for some reason, you know, video games seemed to be this. It just wasn't something which was really uh, talked about in any academic way. And it was actually playing uh, Silent Hill 2, the survival horror video game. That was the first game that I remember playing and thinking I know how to write about this I can analyze this game in the same way as I could analyze a film or a tv show or, or a novel it's had a elements of, of, of um, drawing from from cinema but also from horror culture it's quite sort of like as a series it's quite Lovecraftian it's um, got a very very rich aesthetic to it which is quite unique so there were lots of things that I could find to to analyze in this game which had clear connections with media which is more commonly um, explored and then um, over the years uh, video game scholarship has, has really kind of like ballooned as a field so more and more people are writing about games and 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 more I think more people who make games are being more thoughtful about what kind of content they're they're developing um, and there's some really interesting games which are coming out now in the indie scene as well as in the kind of like mainstream game so I'm really yeah glad that I sort of got in to writing about video games when I did because it's it is it's really fascinating to be working in a field that is is really kind of emerging and you're you're sort of helping to to kind of like um, develop this, this whole new um, academic discipline and more and more people are obviously then coming in to study video games and we've got a new course which is coming up as well, which you're involved Absolutely, in. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. There's a new course um, on uh, video game design and also on animation, which I'm also involved in. Um, and obviously, you know, an- video games are animation. Um, there's lots of you know, really clear connections there. But yeah, the uh, the course um, is, uh, yeah, it's really exciting to be involved in a, in a course which is um, going to hopefully be, be training the, the next generation of game designers. And I've been running a, a, an option module on um, video game studies uh, for the last six years, I think. So, um, so I've I've um, lots of experience of teaching students about how games tell stories, how they how you know we can think about games in terms of genre issues around obviously about ethics and and morality within video games. It's such a rich and diverse medium. I'm I'm really looking forward to to getting started on that degree program. Yeah, but I, I guess it's an art form, and I. A lot of people that haven't played video games, I guess, may turn their nose up at it. But that is changing quite a lot, isn't it? And the same sort of themes that are being explored in film and TV uh, are being explored in video games now as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I think it's a, it's quite an odd medium because on the one hand, it is a, 
obviously it's, it's huge it draws in a huge amount of money but it's also quite subcultural so a lot of people don't play games aren't aware of game culture whereas like you know things like film and television have become much more kind of like embedded in our culture um so uh, yeah is it sometimes it is a bit of a challenge when you're you're trying to talk about games and people aren't maybe familiar with the kind of genres that you're talking about or or haven't haven't got the technology to enjoy the games that you're that you're analyzing it's a medium which um is developing at such a rate it's not just the technology but also yeah the the content the ideas um i mean games are sort of engaging with issues of philosophy and and are games which are um encouraging the players to think about the actions they're performing and why they're performing them uh, games which sort of um turn the tables on the player when you think you're in control of something and then realize that you're not there's lots of really obviously games can do similar things to literature and 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 film and tv and, and in terms of you know, storytelling or in terms of aesthetics but i think what's really fascinating is the way in which games are starting to do things that only games can do um and it's almost like the medium is starting to come into its own in some really interesting interesting ways mm. what, what about things like virtual reality then because i mean okay so i'm coming straight off of this after watching the black mirror episode uh, about, about yeah, yeah. virtual reality but i mean that's kind of that program is the exploring where charlie yeah. brook has done that throughout the whole black mirror series but i mean you're looking at extremes of technology which is currently available like you say it's it's, a, it's something that's developing all the time but how far will it yeah. go well, it's it's really again, it's really fascinating. I, I I was studying in the '90s when virtual reality was the next thing, and everyone was getting very excited about it. And it didn't happen because I don't think the technology was quite there yet. Now I think the technology is, um, but it's, it's there's still major problems. I mean, I've I've got a, a VR headset for my PlayStation, and I can only really wear it for like 20 minutes at a time because it's quite uncomfortable. And also, is some of the games that I've played on VR sets are, are you know really interesting. The the things that they're doing, um, certainly the kind of like the seeing things in three D is 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 you know, adds a lot to the to the experience of of playing games. But also, some of them I've I've played that you need to think that this is just a bit of a, a novelty. This is a um, yeah, it's a, a it's a bit like um, yeah, the cinema of attractions. It's like a, a kind of um, yeah, it's, it's something which is kind of hard to really envisage how it's going to develop um it's almost like i think there's there needs to be new genres of games to come out to match this this new kind of technology or or it could be that vr doesn't evolve as a gaming um technology it could evolve as a you know more kind of a cinematic technology or it could it could have applications which are outside of entertainment altogether it could end up being something which is more used for for training purposes which is you know obviously the, the roots of early vr um are, are very much kind of like um in 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 that particular area so i mean it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next um next uh decade or so whether video game virtual reality systems take off or if they're if they remain uh a sort of you know a bit of a sideshow uh i mean what's really interesting is you know we we have over the last 40 years video games have developed quite substantially but a lot of the you can still play two-dimensional games you know there are still puzzle games there's still games which are very similar to early games that you might play on a 48k um, uh, home computer um, which is is 
quite interesting because uh, you know you you don't really have black and white films anymore. You don't have silent films. That that that, that, that it's interesting that early formats of video games are still very much with us in a way that um, they haven't been superseded by by new technologies. So I think video games are always kind of like developing, but they're also the, you know the, the older genres and the older formats still remain. Going back to horror um, as a as a genre, your focus is on gender and race, uh, sexuality. How does that sort of genre sort of challenge a lot of those things? I mean, we've seen the discussion is wider with 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 films such as Get Out, which has come yeah. out, and Jordan Peele's second film after that with mm-hmm. us. The thing about um, horror, and it's the same with science fiction, um, those sort of fantasy genres have always engaged with ideas of identity because um, horror is quite often about. Um, about otherness it's about um it's about monsters or it's about things which make us as an audience uncomfortable um so i think there's some really this is something that that fantasy media have always done uh i mean it's, it's, the example is like star trek and the way that star trek has dealt with issues of of race we talked about zombie movies earlier and uh, the the zombie is is a really interesting um, and quite mobile metaphor for a whole range of things from kind of overpopulation to fear of ecological collapse to um, fear of, of other people contaminating our spaces. Um, these these um, you know, horror and science fiction and fantasy always provide a, a very kind of rich ground for sort of dealing with things which I think maybe as a culture we'd feel too uncomfortable tackling them head on. And so we sort of project them into into these kind of like fantasy figures which maybe make them more make allow us to deal with some of those issues in a more comfortable way let's go on back to your research as well on and your interest in children's culture i mean one of your focuses is a lot on how children's films how adults probably look forward to them sometimes even more than the children do and by that i'm sort of referring to toy story 4 which is coming out now but that's sort of something that a lot of people have grown up with as well and it's spanned quite a long time but it's just a hugely anticipated film for everyone Mm -hmm. but it is essentially aimed at children i said that uh, before i i did my uh, phd on on children's cinema and one of the things that i realized fairly early on when i started this project was that children's cinema didn't really exist that people don't really make films for children because children aren't a very good cinema audience Mm. um they're a good television audience um and that's why throughout the history of you know the bbc and also in, in other countries um children's television has always been produced um and um cinema doesn't really work in the same kind of way because children don't have the 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 finances to pay for their own tickets uh because they need to have an adult supervisor uh, an adult chaperone um with them in the auditorium so um, there is only a few examples I managed to come up with of films which were, seem to be entirely aimed at children. One of them that came out when I was researching was the uh, the Pokemon movie, the first Pokemon film, and um, that seemed to be a film which had abs- you know, adults had absolutely no interest in at all. But that was such a massive uh, franchise that it, it managed to to draw in children dragging their parents and that film was profitable but most cases when we think about films which look like they're films for children are family films they're films which cater for adults and children in in different ways they're films which are quite often about childhood or about uh, nostalgia for a lost childhood so i mean that seems to be one of the themes that's going on in toy story and i don't know how many children are 
you know, feeling nostalgic for childhood because they're obviously still inhabiting that 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 particular space. But in some ways, when we, we Toy Story is 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 more a film about childhood, and it's about the culture of childhood than it is a film which is aimed at children. Although that's not to say that children don't enjoy it, and it's not to say that it's not marketed at children because certainly the stores are full of toys based on Toy Story. But I know adults also purchase those those products and there are a toy story related products which are clearly aimed at an older audience is it is it then just come down to the fact then that animation is just generally looked at often as it's aimed at children also children sort of grow up watching animation from the start so they kind of think that is that is their way of, of, of consuming tv and film yeah i mean it's one of the questions i've asked um in in some of the work that i've been doing uh, why is it that um, animation is associated with children and it is quite complicated if you look at the history of animation um i mean take what is regarded as the first feature film snow white and the seven dwarfs that was a film which succeeded because it was appealing to adults as well as children it, it would not have made its money back if it was just being shown at you know kids clubs and then if you look at the the development of disney's studios animation particularly its, its feature films those that were consistently things like um dumbo and snow white these are also films which are popular with, with adults i think you know it's difficult to be entirely entirely sure about this but it seems that television has got a, a major part to play in that association between children and animation um as, as i think you mentioned um so the fact that animation particularly I think in the 60s and 70s, um, was almost exclusively, or television animation was almost exclusively um, on uh, children's TV shows. But then, you know, you've also got those boundaries being tested with things like you know, The Simpsons, which is you know, by most accounts the most successful television show in history. We've got things like um, you know, Family Guy and, and South Park and, and you know, Rick and Morty. Um, although, again, it's interesting to look at those shows, particularly something like South Park, that even though it's obviously an animated show which is aimed at an adult audience and it's certainly certificated um, for an adult audience, it's still drawing upon that association between children and animation. A lot of the humour of that particular franchise seems to come from the fact that you're watching something that looks like it's a kid's show, but clearly due to its content it isn't. I just finished writing a piece about um, the Lego movie and that's also a really fascinating film that uh, manages to appeal to both adults and children and was, was hugely successful. And um, in that film, it's quite quite interesting to sort of compare that to Toy Story because in both Toy Story and the Lego movie, you have got the the product, the you know the toy is the star of the of the film. So you've got this uh, really almost perfect synergy between um, toy culture and and screen culture. But yeah, the, the Lego Movie um, and the Lego Movie 2 and the Batman Lego Movie, those are all kind of films which I think are aimed at um, both adults and children and are doing some really interesting things with their animation as well because um, you know it's all, it's all computer generated, but it's designed to look as if it's handmade. It's designed to look as if it's something that you know, an amateur has, has put together or a child could be, could be kind of like doing the, the, the kind of like effects in that film. Clearly those kind of films work and make a, a lot of money more wider because they're actually a lot of these most successful films they are selling a product like say the product center of the film toy story lego my little pony the new the pikachu film that's out recently they will easily sell something else as well yeah yeah no absolutely that's something i'm, I'm obviously is, is quite cynical but it's also quite interesting to look at the kind of history of that and and the ways in which particularly children's culture is, is doing that and has always kind of 
done that with the connections between children's TV and toy culture. And particularly in the, the 1980s onwards, that's when we start to see almost like a, a reverse of the traditional situation where the, the toy would come first and then the TV show would be used as a, as a kind of promotional tool for that. And uh, something like, yeah, My Little Pony is a really good example of that where it's basically created by Hasbro as a way of promoting their their toy range. I mean, the Transformers is another another example. Yeah, on the one hand, it can be seen as a as, yeah very as a very cynical thing, but at the same time, there's some some really interesting things where you can see where the, the synergy doesn't quite work. Where, for example, if you if you've seen Toy Story three, there's that um, the the pink bear is a kind of real villain in the in the film, um, and uh, it's interesting when the, when that film came out, there were lots of toys of that bear, and that bear was on the cover of of books and birthday cards. So, I wonder if there's something went wrong along the way that this merchandise is already in production, mm. and the narrative of the story was changed, and that bear suddenly became the villain of the of the piece. And by that point, it was too late. And I've I've had a student who um um was on my children's culture course who said they were working in a toy store around the, the time that Toy Story came out and they just had loads of this pink bear because no child wanted to buy it. So um, it's quite interesting you see that the, the, the things don't quite work out in, in, in the same way. Um, and one of the one of the interesting things as well is that you know people quite often who are making the films or making the TV shows aren't necessarily seeing any benefit from the the the, the merchandise and there might be two very separate groups within an organization working on those so sometimes there is a kind of disconnect between them hmm. let's just finish off quickly with um, your work here at the university how would you describe your approach to teaching okay well um i tend to um i don't really like lectures so much because I, I have quite a short attention span so i i, I prefer workshop environments where I'm sort of combining obviously disseminating information but also asking questions getting students to to come up with debates I, I usually try to each each week to to use a, a different method so you know one one week week I could be like getting the students to come up with questions and asking them to um, circulate them amongst the group another one we might be um, organizing ourselves into into teams to to work on particular projects i think you know trying to keep things as as, as lively as possible is one of the uh, one of the aims of my classes um, i'm very lucky that i teach you know popular culture because i'm i'm quite often uh, engaging with things that students are already watching or, or talking about and, and, and i always try to encourage students to bring their own examples um, to the classroom Mm. Uh, we finish every podcast with questions away from your work so just very quick fire ones the first one is what advice would you give to your younger self i've done my phd earlier i think um i think i would have yeah i i pretty have started a good couple of years before i did that would have been i think that would have been sensible advice <laughs> can you pick a favorite place in sussex uh the um end of the pier uh when the sun's going down describe your perfect weekend uh perfect we can start off um get up quite early go to uh, the duke of york's and watch a cartoon with my kids um then go have a pub lunch after that maybe a little doze and then in the evening i'd um go out for a indian with my partner and probably end up uh, watching something uh, on netflix in bed 
Sounds good. What are you currently reading, watching and or listening to? Okay, uh, well, at the moment I'm reading um, Little Black Lies by Sharon Bolton, which is a a, um, a thriller set in the Falkland Islands. Um, Academically, I'm reading um, Bonnie Ruberg's uh, Video Games Have Always Been Queer, which is a really interesting book. Uh, really kind of solid um, piece of research and there's lots of work at the moment on queer video games so it's very timely. I've just finished watching Dead to Me which I very much enjoyed. I'm listening to a lot of David Bowie at the moment actually I'm trying to get myself in the mood for, uh, for for next month. Thanks so much to Ewan for his time. The link to book tickets for Forever Stardust is in the podcast description. Sure to be a really fun event. I'll be back next week when I'll be speaking to Zoe Swan, the undergraduate course leader for law here, about her groundbreaking well-being and resilience classes for students. If you're not already, you can like or subscribe via Spotify or iTunes or search University of Brighton in your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening.